Crawling on your knees towards it Making mama so proud Beautiful way, girls I hear you get that talent from your father <laughs> On that line <laughs> Um, th- this passage is about the anticipation of Jesus' second coming with the, fewer, the, the sure uh, hope that he came the first time. And what it, what it says is that every person wants to be seen by God and wants to see God. And that when we long for that, when we hope for that, that we become more ourselves or as the passage puts it, we become Pure, we purify ourselves as He is pure. And so, this is God's word to you this morning. It says, See, and that word see is, is behold, to behold what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. It's our practice at Redeemer to spend some moments in silence and meditate on what what it is that we're doing here. And what we're doing is that we're asking God to speak to us by the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's main job to do in our hearts is to remind us over and over and over and over again to look to Jesus Christ, to constantly go back to Jesus Christ, to meditate on him, uh, to dwell on him, uh, to to let him make you pure by his divine gaze. And so that's what we're doing when we pray. And so would you pray with me? Let's spend some moments in silence. Father, we ask that you would come and speak to us now by your spirit and that you would help us to behold uh, our future, which is that we will gaze upon you and you will gaze upon us and all things will be right. All things will come to a final resolve and completion and all of the hard stuff will get wrapped up into the great gospel story that you've been writing in creation and in the midst of our lives from the beginning. And so would you give us a little taste of that here from your word this morning and uh, move us into the table and move us out into the world to hold out this great love that you poured out into us in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, my son, my son's birthday is on December 10th, Lazarus, and we had a wonderful day this past year. He turned five. We went to Dino Putt-Putt up there on Highway 6. Um, and did all sorts of other great things. And it came time for, for bedtime at the end of the day. And it's not an uncommon occurrence in the Odom house that he struggles to want to come up to bed. And so uh, this was happening that night. And so I came down and he was kind of piddling about. That's what we say in the South. Just kind of not doing anything. And I was like, buddy, what, what's wrong? Uh, it's, time, it's time for bed. And he said, I, I, just, I just don't want this day to end. 
And uh, that is, that's the feeling of December 26th, isn't it? I mean, it's just like, okay, everything is over. And whether you are a person that like anticipates the Advent season, Christmas, or you just try to get, get through it or, or endure it, at least it's something, you know, that you've been looking forward to all year long. And now it feels like December 26th is like the biggest letdown ever. You know, it's like now the waiting begins again for another whole year. Well, that is the metaphor. And I I want you to move into this not being a a depressing thought, but that's the metaphor, the Christian life that um, we are in waiting and expectation uh, vibe for our entire existence. It's all December 26. It's all the day after your birthday. And so if you read Jesus's parables, he talks a lot about this and he helps his disciples understand what that means to live in the tension between Jesus's first coming and his second coming. So he talks a lot about seeds sprouting and waiting on that to happen. He talks a lot about owners coming back to their property and you as a ser- servant waiting on that to happen. And um, Part of what this passage does is that it helps us understand how to live life in the aftermath of Christmas Day. Um, what do you do with that like sadness that you feel when something is is past? And that's part of how we walk through this world as Christians. We we have to have hope for the time in between. Now, as we close out the Advent season, that's what the the church is called to do, that we believe in the first coming of Jesus in anticipation of the second coming. And the way that we do this is through hope. That's the verb that we're going to focus in on uh, from this passage this morning. And uh, hope is, well, it's to believe in ultimate resolution in the future. That all things that have gone wrong, all things that will ever go wrong, will ultimately and finally come to completion and goodness when it's all said and done. Because of the first coming of Jesus and his promise in the second coming. But, and here's how hope helps us in the present, that will never ever happen in the here and now. Not that we should long for it and work towards it, but we must wait with anticipation for the completion of what Jesus started at his first coming. And we live in that time in between. Now, the way that the world processes life, and you see this here in the verse, verse one of our passage, is that you're always in. in the, this is how the world works. This is how our hearts and our flesh work that we're always about to grasp something that's just sort of out of our reach. And that we're always trying to get to something that is that we're about to arrive at. And the Christian says, I'm actually waiting for God to arrive here with me. That's a very different approach to living life than how the world operates, that you are waiting in anticipation for, as our passage says, for God to appear to you, for him to become visible to you. So how do we um, how do we hope for that? That's what this text addresses. It's uh, drastically different than how we would normally operate. Verse one says it starts with beholding. It says, see what kind of love. The father has given us 
The way we see what kind of love the Father has given us, Mary's the gift of God to send his son into the world. We have to, like Mary, like we learned a couple of nights ago, constantly ponder the fact that Jesus came into the world. That that's your, that's your future way that you walk through your day. We, we are all hopers. Every single one of us hope in something. But many of us think that hope is like a wishful dream that we want to come true, but, but it, it probably won't. But hope in Scripture is quite different than that. Hope is the certainty of what has and will continue to happen. And we wait with anticipation on its completion with full confidence despite all appearances. And so I want to look at this uh, concept of hope for the time in between. Look at verse 2. It says that the way we are loved by God is most blatantly seen in how we are included into the heavenly endowments or the heavenly inheritance. And in the first century, inheritance uh, worked very much like it does today. And so uh, let's say you have a rich uncle who has a month to live and you know that you are the only person in the will from your from your uncle's estate. And, and you have about a million dollars in debt to like mortgage companies, credit card companies, schools. Um, and uh, you have the executive powers of attorney. And so you've seen the will and your uncle has about nine million dollars that he's going to give you once he dies in about a month. OK, um, meaning you you are in debt a million dollars, but you're going to be OK in just a little bit. Um, two things about the assurance that, uh, of hope that the scriptures talk about. Uh, that assurance is a legal guarantee in how the scriptures speak about the Holy Spirit's uh, endowment into your heart and how you relate to God. That when, when you uh, believe in Jesus, what the Holy Spirit does, this is how it plays itself out. When you do something wrong in your life, you know, when you mess up. Uh, when you sin, when you when you get mad and you and you uh, do something bad to somebody, um, what what your flesh says is like you need to pay for that. Um, you need to get back in God's good graces. And what the Holy Spirit does is that it comes. He comes into your life and he says, "Look to Jesus. Abide in Jesus. If God's not mad at Jesus, He can't be mad at you." And what? What you've done has been paid for in full and you have his righteous record. You have his righteous account. The spirit tells you you're a child of God. You're not an orphan. You belong to God. You're not an outsider. And second, this inheritance that we have is the same as what's coming to Jesus. Now, Jesus said before he uh, rose from the dead that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In Ephesians 1, it says that heaven and earth are going to be united in him, which means that your inheritance literally is everything. If you belong to Jesus, if Jesus is your brother, you get everything. Far more than you could ever desire. This is how verse 2 puts it and how we ought to think about this. Look, look at this. We are God's children now. But what we will be has not yet appeared. Now, I want you to think about that because that'll help you understand your emotions and how you process it. You are God's children now, 
but what you will be has not yet appeared. Doesn't that help? Doesn't that speak to the deepest part of of your heart? John is saying the spirit allows you to see the written document of your will that's come that's come to you of your uncle's will. But he's still alive. He's got a month to live. But you know it's coming. That's the tension that we are to live in this world in between the first and second coming of Jesus. That heaven itself is legally signed and sealed and documented to us, but you haven't fully received it yet. Now, there, there are two major ways that we're going to talk about that. Uh, that kind of hope shields us from certain things in this life. Hope shields us from unrealistic optimism and shields us from cynical despair. And the Christian is to live in between those two polarities. It, it, it shields you from this fluffy sort of optimistic view of your life. That you're finally going to get there. That, that ain't going to happen. Uh, there is this false doctrine in the early church called, and this is a big word, it's called overly realized eschatology, which meant that they were trying to form comfort in their own life. They were trying to bring heaven into the present in a way that said, we don't actually even need the resurrection. That's what they were saying in Corinth. We don't actually need to get married to people. Uh, we don't actually need to eat with these pagans who eat weird food and that are sacrificed to, to gods, you know, different gods than, than ours. And, and how that plays it. So basically, they're trying to form a life of comfort and say, I don't really care about what's to come because I want it. I want it now. Now, how this plays itself out in our world, uh, Paris Hilton said once a few years back, she said, I, I try to live every day like it's my birthday. That's how I like to walk through this, this world. And, you know, we, we can <laughs> we can scoff at that all day long. But just think about how each of us walks through each of our days. Everything that at least I do, and I'm, I'm thinking like 95% of what I do, revolves around my comfort. And it places me at the center of my day. David Foster Wallace said in a commencement speech at, at his alma mater, he said, you know, every, and he's a skeptic of religion, not, not a Christian. Uh, he said, everybody lives their day like the universe is centered around them. That's why you get frustrated in traffic. That's why you get frustrated in the supermarket line, because you think that these people are in your way. And he says that makes no coherent sense unless you're operating based upon the assumption that everything should revolve around you in this world. And so we're all kind of like Paris Hilton. Like this is my this is my birthday, you know, get out of my way. Conform to me. And what people like Paul and John were doing in the scriptures is that they were pastoring these churches to remember that, look, like there is no easy way in this life. The the very best relationships that you have are going away so fast. And you will lose them. And most people hurt you along the way. And some people do both. They hurt you and then leave you. And what what these writers and and these pastors in the first century were saying is that don't try to get out of the hardship of it all, the pain of it all. This is how you live in the midst of that hope. 
that you hold on to hope of what will come one day. But don't try to carve it out here now. It will elude you. That you are to walk, if you're united to Christ, you are to walk through this world very differently. And you are to see its complexity. <coughs> and to be humble, not to be prideful about it, but to, to look at the world and say, it's, it's such a mixture. I mean, even if you think about your own life, there's so much good and bad all up in there. Right? There's so much good and bad all up in your family. And to try to separate it out is not what the Christian is called to do. What the Christian is called to do is to hold on to hope. And what that looks like is to be wholly disappointed in this world. That it's right to be disappointed in how your life looks, but to hold on to God. This is what the Psalms are about. They call them laments, where people say back to God, and God seems to think that this is worship. They say, God, I don't like how my life is going. And you did it. And I don't like it. But I'm going to hope in you, because what else am I going to do? That's what God calls worship. Um, Do you think of worship like that? You know, God can take it. God wants you to come to him like that because he wants you to wrestle with him. That's what the word Israel meant. My encouragement to you is to go to God, to bring your complaint to God because he can take it. I mean, think, think about if, you know, if when Laz said, I just don't want this day to end. That's far different than him, like running away from me. I wasn't like, I, I can't believe you're, you're being so ridiculous. <laughs> but I was like, buddy, I, I totally understand that. I don't want this day to end either. And God is your father. He knows your sadness and your disappointment. And that really much of life here on earth is December 26. It's the day after your birthday. And Hebrews says God is very sympathetic. And the, the, the reason he is so sympathetic is because of the incarnation. That he came into this world and experienced all that you experience. There's a doctor from the University of Washington named Marsha Linehan. And uh, she runs this center that is um, very good at preventing suicide. She's the creator of this center. And she herself has a lot of uh, burn marks and, and cuts on her arm. And she says a lot of times when patients would be in her office, they would, they would notice the, the damage that she had done on her arms. And they would ask her if she, they would want to know her story. And she said, um, she sort of had a prescribed answer and until this one client that she had asked her. And, and she's like, so do, do you want to know if, I, if I've suffered? And this particular client said, no, no, Marsha, I'm not asking if you've suffered. I'm asking if you are one of us. Like us. Because if you are, that would give us all so much hope. And that's what Jesus does in the incarnation. That he's like, he bears the marks of the pain of this world. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he didn't take that pain and lash out at everybody or lash out at himself again. But he's without sin. And because of that, we can, we can live in this world with hope, knowing that we will not get life the way that we desire it right here and now, even at its best. 
It'll elude you. You try to turn things into idols and they won't they won't deliver. And it says in verse three that we must hope in him. And when we do, we purify ourselves as he is pure. What does it mean to be to be pure, to purify yourself? Well, sin is the curse that defiles us. And it distorts our thinking so much that it's even hard to even know what the beauty of God is or to even desire it. It's like it's too good. It's too real. We don't have eyes that can see it yet. We don't have a face that can behold his yet to look at him and actually enjoy it. And as my friend says, when you have the curse, you either have to deal with that yourself by working hard or looking somewhere else to get rid of it or you can wash your defilement away in the blood of the lamb and to become pure through him. But there's no getting away from desiring to to see and be seen by the one who created you. To love and be loved by him. To be admired by him. If you don't search for the divine face, what's going to happen is that you'll search for it everywhere else. And there are many ways to illustrate this. But I'm going to I'm going to close with this one. Um, There was a a guy named St. Augustine back in the day, and he was very, very popular, very, very uh, gifted. And he had many lovers before he converted to Christianity. And uh, after his conversion, he was walking down the streets, I think, in Milan. And she called out to him and she said, Augustine, it's I. And he just kept walking. And so she called out to him again. She said, Augustine, it's it's I. And so he stops and apparently turns around and he says, I know, but it's not I. Um, You know how you get a child to stop playing with a toy that they're clinging to? You got to show them a shinier toy, a better one. Here's the hope that you have, even in life, with all its wreckage. Don't you don't you feel your desires changing, evolving right underneath your feet? That your heart is is wanting to cling to something that you have not yet experienced, but you know is there. And it's the face of God. And what the scriptures say is that your face isn't fully formed yet for him, but it will be. And you know it. And when that veil is removed, you will be fully and finally yourself. Underneath his gaze. And to purify yourself isn't about like cleaning up your life or getting to the next accomplishment. But it's it's about sensing what Thomas Chalmers called a shift in your affections within your soul. That you stop looking for the next thing. And and what you do is you you go back and you look at the the thing that came first. And what you realize is that God's coming to me. God's bringing heaven to earth and he's going to transform everything. My face included. And what you begin to realize is that you have a very different lover than you've ever known, that you can't fully see in this world, but you know it's coming. You know it's coming more than anything else in your soul. Because you've been looking for it since day one. 
And the call for the Christian in between the first and second coming of Jesus is to wait for the Lord like watchmen in the morning. To wait and to hope in his word. Psalm 130. That's our call as we think about living in the aftermath of Christmas, December, you know, maybe one of the worst days of the year, December 26th. And forgive me if that's, I think that's one of my friend's birthdays. So I probably shouldn't say that. Um, let's, uh, let's pray and continue to wait for the Lord. Father, we thank you for uh, this beautiful truth that you will stare at us and we will stare back and we will finally know that we are at home in your gaze. And so, Lord, in, in the various ways that we pursue your gaze in this world, uh, that you would not give us over to cynicism or optimism, but that we could actually enjoy the present, knowing that it will never be fully complete until the end of time. And so, Lord, we, we wait for that day, that great day, and all things will be made right. And help us to participate in that great hope. So